0: Hi, everybody. My name is Lindsay Idaluka, and I am your host for Brewing Boundaries. Thank you so much for joining us for our first pilot episode. Brewing Boundaries is just that, brewing boundaries, confidence, and other mental health education to fill your cup. For those who follow me online, you might already know that I am a graduate student at Rhode Island College, and I am currently studying to be a clinical mental health counselor, For those who have followed me for some time, you know that mental health has always had a special place in my heart and I'm really hoping that this podcast can help shed some light on things that maybe we don't talk about every single day. My hope for this podcast is to make a larger conversation about mental health. I'm really hoping that through conversations with all of you and having guests on our show, We can help to not only fight the stigma, but have those conversations and normalize those things that have been taboo for lack of a better term for quite some time. Today, I'm very happy to introduce Betsy Brenner, who is the author of The Longest Match, Rallying to Defeat an Eating Disorder in Midlife. She was also a former tennis coach and is a retired attorney. Betsy has been a local champion when it comes to eating disorders, sharing her own story, and I'm glad to introduce you to her today. Well, Betsy, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so happy to be here. Such an honor. Oh, you're so sweet. So um, for those who are not familiar with Betsy, of course, as we said, she is an author. She was a tennis coach at Barrington High School for quite a long time. And Betsy, you have really become a voice in the state of Rhode Island. Not only do you run bereavement support groups, but you really have been a champion for eating disorders for women at midlife.
1: Thank you. Um, Things just have had a way of unfolding, and I'm so grateful to be able to provide peer support for eating disorders, uh, both in person, in Providence, and virtually. I I did a group last night. I had a woman from Australia, of all places. So um, I'm so grateful for these opportunities to give people that extra support in between professional appointments, support I Mm. wish I had had when I was struggling.
0: Absolutely. And Betsy, with what you're comfortable sharing, um, for those who might not know your personal story, can you share that with them?
1: Absolutely. I, I was always the most private of people, but when my book was published in, in 2021, I literally became an open book. So I share <laughs> every, every detail of my journey in my memoir, but in a nutshell. And obviously, at my age, there's been several chapters, and we could be Mm -hmm. here all day. But in a nutshell, my childhood certainly started as one of white suburban privilege. But after my parents' divorce in the 1970s, my mom treated this traumatic change as if nothing had happened. So it was modeled for me from a very young age that when there's a traumatic change or event in our lives We power through. We go on as if nothing happened. So that was the Mm. beginning of my anxiety, mild depression, and it was the beginning of internalizing any and all emotions. There was no opportunity to express sadness or fear or ask questions. And so we went on with our suburban lives as if nothing had happened. So I grew up without vulnerability ever being Mm. an option. I grew up feeling that I had to be strong all the time. And I thought being strong meant always being positive. I never felt it was okay to articulate or express or even feel any negative emotions. And that takes its toll after a while. On the outside, we were a suburban family. I did very well in school. I did very well in tennis. Uh, both have given me incredible gifts in my life, but I often felt I was walking on eggshells around my mother, and she was very moody and rigid and controlling. So I became such a people pleaser, feeling that I had to be the perfect good girl. To um, to make sure she was okay. I didn't know Mm -hmm. that I could express feelings or have any needs of my own. So that really set the stage for decades of internalizing any and all difficult emotions. Both my parents died very young from cancer. Again, I didn't know how to grieve in a, a healthy way, letting the feelings out. And I was diagnosed with anorexia in my 40s, actually, at a time when Really was the perfect storm. I was diagnosed with severe asthma and I'd just gotten back into tennis and lost weight I didn't need to lose. And I felt so out of control with the asthma diagnosis. And that's it, wasn't until this time in my life when the perfect storm took place that I was diagnosed with anxiety and mild depression. But so many things make sense now. And I actually kept all these childhood diaries and journals and I quote them throughout my memoir and it gave me this lens directly into my past. And I found so many examples of anxiety and depression and also too strong a connection between food and exercise and a Mm. hyper focus on body image. So it just all came to a head in my forties with my diagnosis and, um, grateful to say I've gotten to a place where my recovery is very strong. And I'm grateful that I can give back and help others who are struggling.
0: Well, thank you for sharing all of that, Betsy. And we're so glad to hear that you are recovering. And just like you mentioned um, in your book as well, recovery, it's not always linear, right? Recovery is a journey. Um, And for those who might be in midlife thinking, well, you know, it's too late for me. what, What would you say to them?
1: Well, the message from my book is it's never too late to be a work in progress. That is, Those are my words, my quote. And if I can recover from an eating disorder in my 50s, anybody can. It really involved uh, learning new ways of looking at myself and at life and coping with challenges and stressors. And I hear from women around the world who feel like this is their lot in life and that it's always going to be this way. So Mm. if I can give people one ounce of hope along their own journeys and inspire them to keep working on recovery and not give up. But as you said, it's never linear. I've never met anyone whose recovery recovery was linear. There's always going to be twists and turns, steps forward and backwards, navigating the very difficult journey to recovery.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things you mentioned um, in your memoir is that you do quote yourself often. And I think that that is so interesting. You mentioned it very early on. um, You use the T word, trauma. And I think that a lot of times people hear that phrase, healing your inner child, and mm-hmm. it's almost become a buzzword. We see it a lot on social media and hear it a lot online. But in reading this book, you, you are almost taking us through that healing journey yourself.
1: Yes, definitely. I honestly didn't learn until my recovery journey that trauma could be emotional I didn't Hmm. understand that some of the experiences I had been through were emotional trauma. And I I needed permission to go back and and identify, articulate, and express all those difficult emotions. Even in those diaries that you referenced, I would feel guilty for even thinking a negative thought. And what those diaries provided was a direct lens into my past. Obviously, I had many experiences that I had independent recollection of, but it gave me such insight and self-awareness to read through every word of those diaries before beginning to write my life story. And I learned so much about myself, and I learned that there was this very sad inner child, and I now understand how and why that developed, and that it was up to me as an adult in recovery to give that sad inner child the unconditional love and nurturing that she certainly craved as a child.
0: That's so beautiful and thank you so much for sharing that because if I had a dollar for every woman who I have come across in my lifetime who is around midlife and you know they say, well, at this point what at this point what can I do? There is so much that you can do. And I'm I'm so honored Um, to be sitting here talking with you as my first um, interview for this podcast. And body image is something that I have always felt very strongly about. And I'm just so honored to have somebody on here that can talk about how powerful self-talk is and how powerful words in general are that people don't realize how strong words can be.
1: Absolutely. And I think there's so many women out there, especially, and I'm sure men too, who really struggle with body image, even Mm. if they don't have an eating disorder, just we're surrounded by diet culture and social media and our bodies are supposed to look a certain way and um you know so many do go on to develop eating disorders but even those who don't certainly still struggle what re- what really helped me and what i encourage women who i work with because body image even if recovery is pretty strong that's usually the last major issue last major hurdle in recovery yep. is learning to accept um mm-hmm. a changing body whether it's a weight restored body or just different one is one thing is understanding that our bodies are supposed to change. As we age, our bodies are constantly changing and that's, that is normal, but even more profound than that. And what really helped me was shifting that focus from what my body looks like to what my body can do for me. And if we think about all the things that our bodies do from the time Mm. we wake up till the time we go to sleep, And also reminding people that we only get one body. And I myself had a significant health scare um, seven years ago, which I ended up having major surgery. The details are all in my book. But anyway, I got good news at the end of this very scary uh, stretch in my life. And after I got the good news and literally had two months where I could do almost nothing to heal my body from major surgery. It was just such a powerful reminder that we do only Mm. have one body. And from that point forward, I was never going to deprive my body of what it needed. And I really shifted my focus to both nourishing my body and nurturing my mind, body and soul and wanting to be my healthiest self going forward. And I hope people don't have to go through such a Um, difficult health scare to reach that point. But just understanding that our bodies change as we age. And as we age, it's it's normal for whether it's weight gain or whatever changes there are and learning to accept our bodies, even if we don't love them, at least accept them and that this is our one body that we have for the rest of our lives.
0: That is so beautifully said. And unfortunately, it takes too often, a major health crisis to appreciate what we have. So I love the way that you said that. And sometimes we don't need to hopefully go through a a major crisis, but to sit down and to reflect um, how lucky we are um, to be able-bodied and to even have the food of our choice to nourish our body um, is really a blessing.
1: Definitely, and learning in recovery that food is food, all foods fit, I hear from too many people who eliminate certain food groups, and you mm. know unless you have another you know g i illness that requires you to give up certain foods, all foods fit there's no good foods and bad foods, and everything can be part of a well balanced way of nourishing our bodies and that is something many people with eating disorders have to really focus on during the early stages of recovery is learning how to re-nourish their bodies.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, talking a little bit about food, I wanted to um, have you shed a little bit of light on even those who have not been diagnosed or do not have a diagnosis of an eating disorder, but perhaps they have an unhealthy relationship with food, an unhealthy uh, view of their bodies. What advice would you give them? Just
1: shifting that focus to what our bodies can do for us and what they do for us in any given day, and um, and also sometimes it it requires seeing a, a dietitian who can help us determine what our bodies need to be their healthiest mm-hmm. selves, and and just understanding mm-hmm. that you know there's no need to exclude certain foods as long as we're getting the the protein and the vitamins and minerals and nourishment that we need yes. we all can deserve our bodies our lives our our well-being deserves to enjoy food food is something to be enjoyed and so Absolutely. many women have this stressful relationship with it but if we if we learn to trust our bodies and eat intuitively eat when we're hungry stop when we're full um You know, those hunger cues and fullness cues disappear when someone has an eating disorder. But those who don't have eating disorders, learning to listen to our body, I think, can really help. And if we are having trouble with that, asking ourselves, what is going on? What are we really feeling? What do we need? Because one of the things I had to learn early on was that eating disorders aren't about food. It's the behaviors with food that are actually the symptom Of what's going on inside. So Mm -hmm. often if there are issues with food and body image, it's time to dig deeper and find out exactly what is going on inside and what do we really need and what
0: purpose is this behavior with the
1: food serving uh, that needs to be addressed.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, Betsy. Thank you so much. And, uh, wrapping up, I just wanted to say thank you so much. Um, the longest match rallying to defeat an eating disorder in midlife is available online. Um, I highly suggest it. Um, I am a little biased, of course, a Rhode Islander obviously supporting a Rhode Island author. Um, but Betsy, is there anything else that you want to leave the audience with before we part for the day? Well, first of all,
1: thank you again for having me on your podcast. And I'm honored to be your first guest. And I wish you the very best with this. Thank
0: my you. book is
1: available on Amazon and it is in all formats paperback, audiobook, and ebook. And it's on the shelf at Barrington Books. I know that. But also, if you go to my website, com. There are more details about me and also the work that I do here in Rhode Island it with peer support and I'm on Instagram at Betsy Brenner author
0: and that's a public Instagram where I share a lot of the work that I'm doing. It's always a pleasure to have Betsy on and I'm so glad that she was able to share a little bit about her book today and shed some light on her experience with eating disorders through midlife. And if you take anything out of today's episode – I hope that you know that it's never too late to start something new. Age is just a number. I think that it is so important that we as people never believe that we're too old to grow. And something that Betsy talked about is recovery and how recovery is never linear. But I also want to say that neither is growth. We'll have good days, we'll have bad days, we'll have some stretches where we feel like we're really on a roll. And maybe some weeks, it's just not it, right? But I think that's okay. And I think that as long as we know that we can always continue to move forward, that there's something to strive for, and growth will always be there. And like we said, it's not linear, it's something that's always brewing, if you will. All right, I'm gonna give myself a pat on the back for that one. And I wanna say thank you so much, guys, for tuning in to my very first episode, and I'll see you soon.